Section 3 of An Account of Egypt by Herodotus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Morgan Scorpion. Look me up on YouTube if you like ghost and horror stories. An Account of Egypt by Herodotus. Section 3. As regards the nature of the river, neither from the priests nor yet from any other man was I able to obtain any knowledge, and I was desirous especially to learn from them about these matters, namely why the Nile comes down increasing in volume from the summer solstice onwards for a hundred days, and then, when it has reached the number of these days, turns and goes back, failing in its stream so that through the whole winter season it continues to be low, and until the summer solstice returns. Of none of these things was I able to receive any account from the Egyptians, when I inquired of them what power the Nile has, whereby it is of a nature opposite to that of all other rivers. And I made inquiry, desiring to know both this which I say, and also why, Unlike all other rivers, it does not give rise to any breezes blowing from it. However, some of the Hellenes who desired to gain distinction for cleverness have given an account of this water in three different ways. Two of these I do not think it worth while even to speak of, except only to indicate their nature. Of which the one says that the Atesian winds are the cause that makes the river rise by preventing the Nile from flowing out into the sea. But often the Atesian winds fail, and yet the Nile does the same work as it is wont to do. And moreover, if these were the cause, all the other rivers also which flow in a direction opposed to the Atesian winds ought to have been affected in the same way as the Nile. And even more, inasmuch as they are smaller and present to them a feebler flow of streams. But there are many of these rivers in Syria, and many also in Libya, and they are affected in no such manner as the Nile. The second way shows more ignorance than that which has been mentioned, and it is more marvellous to tell, for it says that the river produces these effects because it flows from the ocean, and that the ocean flows round the whole earth. The third of the ways is much the most specious, but nevertheless it is the most mistaken of all. For indeed this way has no more truth in it than the rest, alleging, as it does, that the Nile flows from melting snow, whereas it flows out of Libya through the midst of the Ethiopians, and so comes out into Egypt. How then should it flow from snow, when it flows from the hottest parts to those which are cooler? and indeed most of the facts are such as to convince a man, one at least who is capable of reasoning about such matters, that it is not at all likely that it flows from snow. The first and greatest evidence is afforded by the winds, which blow hot from these regions. The second is that the land is rainless always and without frost, whereas after snow has fallen rain must necessarily come within five days, so that if it snowed in those parts, rain would fall there. The third evidence is afforded by the people dwelling there, who are of a black colour by reason of the burning heat. Moreover, 
kites and swallows remain there through the year and do not leave the land and cranes flying from the cold weather which comes on in the region of scythia come regularly to these parts for wintering if then it snowed ever so little in that land through which the nile flows and in which it has its rise none of those things would take place as necessity compels us to admit as for him who talked about the ocean he carried his tale into the region of the unknown and so he need not be refuted since i for my part know of no river ocean existing but i think that homer or one of the poets who were before him invented the name and introduced it into his verse if however after i have found fault with the opinions proposed i am bound to declare an opinion of my own about the matters which are in doubt i will tell what to my mind is the reason why the nile increases in the summer in the winter season the sun being driven away from his former path through the heaven by the stormy winds comes to the upper part of libya if one would set forth the matter in the shortest way all has now been said for whatever reason this god approaches most and stands directly above this it may reasonably be supposed is most in want of water and its native streams of rivers are dried up however to set it forth at greater length thus it is the sun passing in his course by the upper parts of libya does thus that is to say since at all times the air in those parts is clear and the country is warm because there are no cold winds in passing through it the sun does just as he was wont to do in the summer when going through the midst of the heaven that is he draws to himself the water and having drawn it he drives it away to the upper parts of the country and the winds take it up and scattering it abroad melt it into rain so it is natural that the winds which blow from this region namely the south and south-west winds should be much the most rainy of all the winds i think however that the sun does not send away from himself all the water of the nile of each year but that also he lets some remain behind with himself then when the winter becomes milder the sun returns back again to the midst of the heaven and from that time onwards he draws equally from all rivers but in the meantime they flow in large volume since the water of rain mingles with them in great quantity because their country receives rain then and is filled with torrent streams in summer however they are weak since not only the showers of rain fail them but also they are drawn by the sun the nile however alone of all rivers not having rain and being drawn by the sun naturally flows during this time of winter in much less than its proper volume that is much less than in summer for then it is drawn equally with all the waters but in winter it bears the burden alone thus i suppose the sun to be the cause of these things he also is the cause in my opinion that the air in these parts is dry since he makes it so by scorching up his path through the heaven thus summer prevails always in the upper parts of libya if however the station of the seasons had been changed and where now in the heaven are placed the north wind and winter 
there was the station of the south wind and of the midday and where now is placed the south wind there was the north if this had been so the sun being driven from the midst of the heaven by the winter and the north wind would go to the upper parts of europe just as now he comes to the upper parts of libya and passing in his course throughout the whole of europe i suppose he would do to the ister that which he now works upon the nile as to the breeze why none blows from the river my opinion is that from very hot places it is not natural that anything should blow and that a breeze is wont to blow from something cold let these matters then be as they are and as they were at the first but as to the sources of the nile not one either of the egyptians or of the libyans or of the hellenes who came to speech with me professed to know anything except the scribe of the sacred treasury of athene at the city of sais in egypt to me however this man seemed not to be speaking seriously when he said that he had certain knowledge of it and he said as follows namely that there were two mountains of which the tops ran up to a sharp point situated between the city of Syene, which is in the district of thebes and elephantine and the names of the mountains were of the one crophy and of the other mophi from the middle between these mountains flowed he said the sources of the nile which were fathomless in death and half of the water flowed to egypt and towards the north wind the other half to ethiopia and the south wind as for the fathomless depth of the source he said that sametikos king of egypt came to a trial of this matter for he had a rope twisted of many thousand fathoms and let it down in this place and it found no bottom by this the scribe if this which he told was really as he said gave me to understand that there were certain strong eddies there and a backward flow and that since the water dashed against the mountains therefore the sounding line could not come to any bottom when it was let down from no other person was i able to learn anything about this matter but for the rest i learnt so much as here follows by the most diligent inquiry for i went myself as an eye-witness as far as the city of elephantine and from that point onwards i gathered knowledge by report from the city of elephantine as one goes up the river there is country which slopes steeply so that here one must attach ropes to the vessel on both sides as one fastens an ox and so make one's way onward and if the rope break the vessel is gone at once carried away by the violence of the stream through this country it is a voyage of about four days in length and in this part the nile is winding like the river Mayanda and the distance amounts to twelve scoines, which one must traverse in this manner. Then you will come to a level plain, in which the Nile flows round an island named Tacompso. Now, in the regions above the Elephantine there dwell Ethiopians, at once succeeding, who also occupy half of the island, and Egyptians the other half adjoining this island there is a great lake round which dwell ethiopian nomad tribes and when you have sailed through this you will come to the stream of the nile again which flows into this lake after this you will disembark and make a journey by land of forty days for in the nile sharp rocks stand forth out of the water 
and there are many reefs, by which it is not possible for a vessel to pass. Then, having passed through this country in the forty days which I have said, you will embark again in another vessel and sail for twelve days, and after this you will come to a great city called Meroe. This city is said to be the mother city of all the other Ethiopians, and they who dwell in it reverence of the gods Zeus and Dionysus alone, and these they greatly honour. And they have an oracle of Zeus established, and make warlike marches whensoever the god commands them by prophesyings, and to whatever place he commands. Sailing from this city you will come to the deserters, in another period of time equal to that in which you came from Elephantine to the mother city of the Ethiopians. Now the name of these deserters is Asmach, and this word signifies, when translated into the tongue of the Hellenes, those who stand on the left hand of the king. These were two hundred and forty thousand Egyptians of the warrior class, who revolted and went over to these Ethiopians for the following cause. In the reign of Semeticos garrisons were set, one towards the Ethiopians at the city of Elephantine, another towards the Arabians and Assyrians at the Daphnae of Pelusium, and another towards Libya at Merea. And even in my own time the garrisons of the Persians too are ordered in the same manner as these were in the reign of Semeticos, for both at Elephantine and at Daphnae the Persians have outposts. The Egyptians then, of whom I speak, had served as outposts for three years, and no one relieved them from their guard. Accordingly they took counsel together, and adopting a common plan they all in a body revolted from Semeticos and set out for Ethiopia. Hearing this, Semeticos set forth in pursuit, and when he came up with them he entreated them much, and endeavoured to persuade them not to desert the gods of their country, and their children and wives. Upon which it is said that one of them pointed to his privy member, and said that, wherever this was, they would have both children and wives. When these came to Ethiopia, they gave themselves over to the king of the Ethiopians, and he rewarded them as follows. There were certain of the Ethiopians who had come to be at variance with him and he bade them drive these out and dwell in their land. So since these men settled in the land of the Ethiopians, the Ethiopians have come to be of milder manners from having learnt the customs of the Egyptians. The Nile, then, beside the part of its course which is in Egypt, is known as far as a four-month's journey by river and land, for that is the number of months which are found by reckoning to be spent in going from Elephantine to these deserters, and the river runs from the west and the setting of the sun. But what comes after that point no one can clearly say, for this land is desert by reason of the burning heat. This much, however, I heard from men of Kyrene, who told me that they had been to the oracle of Ammon, and had come to speech with Etiarchos, king of the Ammonians and it happened that after speaking of other matters they fell to discourse about the Nile, and how no one knew the sources of it. And Etiarchos said that once there came to him men of the Nasmonians. This is a Libyan race which dwells in the Syrtis, and also in the land to the east of the Syrtis reaching to no great distance.
and when the Nasamonians came and were asked by him whether they were able to tell him anything more than he knew about the desert parts of Libya, they said that there had been among them certain sons of chief men, who were of unruly disposition, and these when they grew up to be men had devised various other extravagant things, and also they had told off by lot five of themselves to go to see the desert parts of Libya, and to try whether they could discover more than those who had previously explored furthest. For in those parts of Libya which are by the northern sea, beginning from Egypt and going as far as the headland of Soloais, which is the extreme point of Libya, Libyans, and of them many races, extend along the whole coast, except so much as the Hellenes and the Phoenicians hold. But in the upper parts, which lie above the sea-coast and above those people whose land comes down to the sea, Libya is full of wild beasts, and in the parts above the land of wild beasts it is full of sand, terribly waterless and utterly desert. These young men, then, said they, being sent out by their companions well furnished with supplies of water and provisions, went first through the inhabited country, and after they had passed through this they came to the country of wild beasts, and after this they passed through the desert, making their journey towards the west wind, and having passed through a great tract of sand in many days, they saw at last trees growing in a level place, and having come up to them they were beginning to pluck the fruit which was upon the trees, but as they began to pluck it there came upon them small men, of less stature than men of the common size, and these seized them and carried them away, and neither could the Nasamonians understand anything of their speech, nor could those who were carrying them off understand anything of the speech of the Nasamonians. And they led them, so it was said, through very great swamps, and after passing through these they came to a city in which all the men were in size like those who had carried them off, and in colour of skin black and by the city ran a great river, which ran from the west towards the sun-rising, and in it were seen crocodiles. Of the account given by Etiarchos the Ammonian let so much suffice as is here said, except that, as the men of Cyrene told me, he alleged that the Nasamonians returned safe home, and that the people to whom they had come were all wizards. Now this river which ran by the city... Etiarchus conjectured to be the Nile, and moreover reason compels us to think so, for the Nile flows from Libya and cuts Libya through in the midst, and as I conjecture, judging of what is not known by that which is evident to the view, it starts at a distance from its mouth equal to that of the Ister, for the river Ister begins from the Catoi and the city of Pyrene, and so runs that it divides Europe in the midst. Now the Keltoi are outside the pillars of Heracles, and border upon the Kinesians, who dwell furthest towards the sunset of all those who have their dwelling in Europe. And the Ister ends, having its course through the whole of Europe, by flowing into the Euxine Sea at the place where the Milesians have their settlement of Istria. Now the Ister, since it flows through land which is inhabited, is known by the reports of many but of the sources of the Nile no one can give an account, for the part of Libya through which it flows is uninhabited and desert. About its course, however, so much as it was possible to learn by the most diligent inquiry has been told, and it runs out into Egypt. 
Now Egypt lies nearly opposite to the mountain districts of Kilikia, and from thence to Sinope, which lies upon the Euxine Sea, is a journey of the same straight line of five days for a man without encumbrance, and Sinope lies opposite to the place where the Ister runs out into the sea. Thus I think that the Nile passes through the whole of Libya, and is of equal measure with the Ister. Of the Nile, then, let so much suffice as had been said. Of Egypt, however, I shall make my report at length, because it has wonders more in number than any other land, and works too it has to show as much as any land, which are beyond expression great. For this reason, then, more shall be said concerning it. The Egyptians, in agreement with their climate, which is unlike any other, and with the river, which shows a nature different from all other rivers, established for themselves manners and customs in a way opposite to other men in almost all matters. For among them the women frequent the market and carry on trade, while the men remain at home and weave, and whereas others weave pushing the woof upwards, the Egyptians push it downwards. The men carry their burdens upon their heads, and the women upon their shoulders. The women make water standing up, and the men crouching down. They ease themselves in their houses, and they eat without in the streets, alleging as reason for this that it is right to do secretly the things that are unseemly though necessary, but those which are not unseemly in public. No woman is a minister either of male or female divinity, but men of all, both male and female. To support their parents the sons are in no way compelled if they do not desire to do so, but the daughters are forced to do so, be they never so unwilling. The priests of the gods in other lands wear long hair, but in Egypt they shave their heads. Among other men the custom is that in mourning, those whom the matter concerns most nearly have their hair cut short, but the Egyptians, when deaths occur, let their hair grow long, both that on the head and that on the chin, having before been close-shaven. Other men have their daily living separated from beasts, but the Egyptians have theirs together with beasts. Other men live on wheat and on barley, but to any one of the Egyptians who makes his living on these it is a great reproach. They make their bread of maize, which some call spelt. They knead dough with their feet, and clay with their hands, with which also they gather up dung, and whereas other men, except such as have learnt otherwise from the Egyptians, have their members as nature made them, the Egyptians practice circumcision. As to garments, the men wear two each, and the women but one, and whereas others make fast the rings and ropes of the sails outside the ship, the Egyptians do this inside. Finally, in the writing of characters and reckoning with pebbles, which the Hellenes carry the hand from the left to the right, the Egyptians do this from the right to the left. And doing so they say that they do it themselves rightwise, and the Hellenes leftwise and they use two kinds of characters for writing, of which the one kind is called sacred, and the other common. They are religious excessively beyond all other men, and with regard to this they have customs as follows. 
they drink from cups of bronze and rinse them out every day and not some only do this but all they wear garments of linen always newly washed and this they make a special point of practice they circumcise themselves for the sake of cleanliness preferring to be clean rather than comely the priests shave themselves all over their body every other day so that no lice or any other foul thing may come to be upon them when they minister to the gods and the priests wear garments of linen only and sandals of papyrus and any other garment they may not take nor other sandals these wash themselves in cold water twice a day and twice again in the night and other religious services they perform one may almost say of infinite number they enjoy also good things not a few for they do not consume or spend anything of their own substance but there is sacred bread baked for them and they have each great quantity of flesh of oxen and geese coming into them each day and also wine of grapes is given to them but it is not permitted to them to taste of fish beans moreover the egyptians do not at all sow in their land and those which they grow they neither eat raw nor boil for food nay the priests do not endure even to look upon them thinking this to be an unclean kind of pulse and there is not one priest only for each of the gods but many and of them one is chief priest and whenever a priest dies his son is appointed to his place end of section three